0: Welcome back to RUF. Really glad you're here. I am going to particularly welcome you if this is your first time to RUF. um, I'd love to meet you. So after RUF, please come up, introduce yourself. Uh, I'd love to get to know you. If you're new to RUF, one of the things that we do is we just simply, normally normally we alternate between semesters, but we just kind of march straight through, most semesters we just march straight through books of the Bible. One semester we'll do the Old Testament, the next semester we'll do the New Testament. This semester we're in the New Testament and we're studying the book of Revelation. And there's lots of reasons for that, but one reason we're doing this is very simply put, one of our goals is to put Revelation back in your Bible. Most people don't know what to do with the book of Revelation, it either heightens anxiety or confuses you. Uh, and you have a hard time, people have a hard time grasping what's in here. Most people are cool with their Bibles, Genesis through Jude, but Revelation is part of God's Word. And so we are praying that God will be gracious to us this semester and that that goal will be met, that maybe by the end of the semester, maybe we won't have it all, uh, we won't understand every single bit of it, but we'll have a small glimpse of what God is trying to communicate to us through this book. Um, and we pray towards that end. And so let me pray and ask God to help us tonight as we look at Revelation 6 and 7. Let's pray together. Father, i was just amazed as the text was being read, all that is here blown away at all of um, the details in this passage that are too numerous for us to cover. Father, we don't have the understanding to figure all this out, and so that's why we come and we ask that you would come and enlighten us through your Holy Spirit so that we might get a glimpse of your glory, so that we might... Uh, gain a new perspective on our lives through this book. Father, remind us tonight that things are not as they seem, but that you are actually alive and well in this world. Show us the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Big weekend. Who's excited about the Rebels? You should be. I mean, think about this. It's not every day that your school has the biggest college football game in the nation on Saturday afternoon. That's what it is. That's unbelievable to think about. Uh, how big this weekend is, and as I thought about the weekend, the only thing I have to compare it to, and I haven't been here in Oxford that long, this is my fourth year, but the only thing I have to compare it to is Texas a couple of years ago when they came to Oxford, and if you were here during that time, uh, you remember that weekend. It was huge. This weekend will be way bigger than that, which is hard for me to believe, but I remember that weekend... And on game day, I was in the Grove and kind of hovering around just a couple of tents. And so I really didn't get the perspective and the grasp on just how massive the crowd was on that particular Saturday. Until a couple of days later, social media, um, there were some pictures of some, that someone had taken of an aerial photo of the Grove on that game day. And it was amazing to see all of that from an entirely different perspective than my just one or two tents that I was kind of bouncing back and forth from. Because it gave me a new perspective, this aerial photo, and it really added new meaning to my experience that day. Because of the massive amount of people that were in this one little place called the grove. Revelation 6 and 7, that's what John is doing. John is pulling back the curtain and he's given us an aerial photo, in a sense. An aerial photo on our suffering and on our security. He's trying to give us a new perspective on suffering and on our security so that we might live differently today. And remember, when we interpret the book of Revelation, the context is part of the passage. And that's particularly important tonight. Remember the context. These aren't people that are losing a friend because they're following Jesus. They are actually being killed because they are claiming the name of Christ and following Him. And so that helps us as we think about this passage tonight. And we need to put ourselves in that context because that's not our context, although I think that day is closer than we realize but it's not our context right now at this very moment. But we need to put ourselves in the context because John is writing to Christians who need to be encouraged and strengthened because they are dying for following Jesus. And so he's writing to encourage them in Revelation 6 and 7. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Revelation chapter 5, and you remember John is weeping. Because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And you remember the scroll, we learned, basically contained the purposes of world history. And John is weeping because there's no one worthy. And then the elder stops him and says, No, John, look at the lion. And remember, he looked at the lion, and on the throne was a baby lamb with his throat cut. Because Jesus is the lion and the lamb. And he is the one worthy to open the scroll. And we get to Revelation 6 and 7 and the Lamb starts to open up the seals in the scroll and enact his plan for human history. And what we learn through chapter 6 and 7 is meant to give us a new perspective. A new perspective on suffering and a new perspective on security. So those are our two points. If you have an outline before you, suffering and security. Let's look at number one, suffering. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you notice those seven verses, those four, first four seals actually go together. And we know that they belong together because they are linked together with the four living creatures that we learned about, about a few weeks ago in Revelation chapter 4. And these first four seals represent what is known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Who are these riders? Let's look at them very briefly. The white horse brings conquest and conquering, meaning throughout all human history, the balance of power will shift back and forth, back and forth. The red horse bloodshed, slaughter, and calamity is brought by the red horse. The red horse uh, shows us that Christians have always lost their lives for their faith, the 20th century being one of the most brutal throughout the entire history of the church. The black horse represents economic suffering. And finally, the pale or sickly horse Comes and brings the ultimate in- enemy of God, death itself. It's easy to miss, but I want you to notice something else because I think it's important. Notice who, what it says, and you—you got to look closely. It says these writers were given the power by whom. By the one who sits on the throne. And I don't know about you, but that is hard to swallow, isn't it? Because there is nothing easy about claiming God's sovereignty over human suffering. Because no amount of logical argument can make it fit nice and neat into our categories. But listen to me. You cannot live without God's sovereignty over human suffering. Let me say that again. I don't think you can live without God's sovereignty over suffering. Why do I say that? Well, think about it this way. I don't know about you, but I would much rather live Believing in a God who was enacting His purposes in the world through suffering, even though I can't make sense of it, and even though I don't completely understand it, but knowing there's a purpose behind the suffering, than to live in a world where there was suffering happening for no reason whatsoever. You see, what we learn here is that the four horsemen, yes, they are riding in the world, but the encouragement is is that God has them on a leash. That the four horsemen in suffering are on God's leash, and He is working out His purposes in the world through suffering, even though we can't get our minds around how all of that works. The four horsemen in this passage show us what we can expect in this world between the time that Jesus died and was resurrected and between the time when he comes again in his second coming and brings what Revelation 21 calls the new heavens and the new earth where he will make all things new and make every wrong right. In other words, the four horsemen are riding right now. Because that is the time we are living in between the resurrection of Jesus and the time when he will come again. These riders are riding as we speak. But don't you know this to be true? Because all we have to do is open up the app on our phone or open up a newspaper and we will see that that is the case. For example, this morning, as I was looking over this sermon, I decided to read the headlines and here's what I found. Ebola is now where? In the U.S. In the US. Thanks for that response. That's awesome. <laughs> it's here. Disease. Calamity. Epidemic. The next headline, violence, a mayor of L.A. suburb dead after shooting, nations, anybody heard of a conflict between Syria, ISIS, and the U.S.? And I could go on and on because the paper tells us that the four horsemen are indeed riding as we speak. But here's the question that I want us to consider is why? Why? Why are the horsemen riding? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And to understand and get the answer to that, we must understand the cry of the four living creatures. Look down again at the passage and notice at each breaking of the seals, the four living creatures cry out, Come! Rewind the tape to Revelation chapter 4 two weeks ago and we learned that the four living creatures were representative of what? All of creation. And what were they doing? They were falling down and they were saying, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Revelation chapter 6, what it's saying is all of creation is crying out, Come, And when they cry out, come, the four horsemen start to ride and create havoc and chaos in the world against creation itself. Now think about that. Doesn't that seem odd? Well, it's not odd when we realize that the creatures aren't calling the four horsemen to come. The creatures are actually calling on King Jesus to come. How do we know? Because it's the entire book of Revelation. Revelation 1 begins with Jesus is coming. And if you flip to the very last verse of the book of Revelation, you know what it says? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Revelation chapter 6 is showing us that Jesus is pressing in. That Jesus is coming. And because Jesus is coming, there is a knee-jerk reaction against the enemy and against evil in the world. And the four horsemen are riding, creating chaos by bringing violence and ruin and greed and poverty and death and all the things we said that the horsemen represent. In other words... The kingdom of light. Jesus is pressing into the world and the darkness cannot stand it and it's pressing back against the light. Let me illustrate. My mother has a bad knee. She's got arthritis in her knee and she struggled with it for a long time and it's finally gotten to the point to where she needs to do something about it. And she doesn't want a knee replacement. And so I called my doctor friend and I said, what are the treatment options that are available for my mom? He says, cortisone shot would be great, no problem. Or there is this new gel that's out that you can inject into the knee that's really good. He said, but I want to warn you, a few of my patients have actually had a reaction. When the gel has been injected into the knee, the tissue around the knee sees the gel as being a foreign substance and it reacts and pushes back against it, causing the knee in some cases to swell up to the size of a basketball. The gel is trying to bring healing But the tissue is reacting against it. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Because King Jesus is pressing in in the world. He is here, He is coming, and He's bringing healing into the world. And His kingdom is bringing healing into the world. And the enemy responds full force with violence and death and disease and greed against the healing that Jesus is bringing. And so, what does that mean for you tonight? Well, simply this. Don't be surprised by suffering. Most people come to Christianity and they think, yes, I'm good. I will not suffer because if Jesus really loved me, there would be no suffering in my life. Do you realize that Jesus in His Word actually says the complete opposite? In Timothy... He says that anyone who seeks to come after me will, not might be, will be persecuted. Will endure suffering. And I don't know about you, but I hate to hear that because I don't want to suffer. And it's hard for me in my mind and in my heart to think about how following Jesus And His purposes in the world and my suffering can actually go together. But Revelation chapter 6 says they can go together. And they do go together. And that suffering does not mean that Jesus is distant or that He's checked out of this world and saying, y'all figure it out. Suffering and the things that the four horsemen are bringing means that Jesus is on the move. And that He is pressing out the darkness in the world and He will one day come and He will stamp it out completely when He comes again. I don't know about you, but that brings a new perspective to my suffering. Knowing Jesus has not left me, but He's actually at at work in the world through it. New perspective on suffering. Secondly, new perspective on security. Look at verses 12 through 17, chapter 6. The sixth seal. John gets shown this sixth seal, and it's the seal for the end of time. And we know that because if you look at the images there, they are the Old Testament symbols. Remember, these images don't come out of a vacuum. They all find their home in the Old Testament. And the symbols are symbols of ultimate judgment. Judgment. The time, This is. yes, I know it gets tough, but I'm trying to be faithful to the passage. This is hard. But he's talking about a time when there will be no more excuses that can be made. And to really feel the force, and I want us to feel the force... We've got to look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 and let verse 17 hit you. I don't know about you, but when I look at verse 17, there's this vague sense of panic in my life when I think about that there is coming a time of open judgment, a time when all of my thoughts, words, and deeds, yes, thoughts, words, and deeds are going to be brought to the light in open judgment. And when you think about that and you look at verse 17, you know that the obvious answer to that question of who can stand is what? No one! No one can stand on their own two feet on that day. And in case you missed it, did you catch the fact that those that are opposing God, they're crying out for the rocks and the mountains to cover them so that they don't incur the wrath of the One who sits on the throne. You see, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how good your upbringing is. It doesn't ha- matter how much money you have or how strong your emotional experience is or how smart you are or beautiful or how connected you are or how zealous you are for Jesus. None of us can stand on our own two feet. And so let me ask you, what are you standing on tonight? What are you resting and banking your life on? Here's how you know. When you feel discouraged, when you've blown that exam, or when you felt rejected by that friend group, and you're frustrated and down and disappointed, what do you think about in order to make yourself feel better? Oftentimes we compare ourselves and think about what sets us apart from other people. Another question is, what right now in your life, if God took away from you, would make you want to walk away from the faith? You see, your answers to those questions will reveal what you're banking your life on, what you're resting on, and what you're standing on tonight. But if you look at the passage, there are those that do stand. Look at chapter 7. It's the 144,000, and we'll talk about what that means in just a second, but there's some incredible stuff before that. Look at verse 1. The angels are released to bring the Day of Judgment, the sixth seal, to the four corners of the earth. And did you catch this? Another angel comes out and says, Stop! No! Don't bring the sixth seal! Don't bring the Day of Judgment! Wait! Why? Look at verse 3. Wait until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. Isn't that amazing? The angel is saying, Wait! Because... If God opens the sixth seal, that's it. Every wrong will be made right and evil will be wiped off the face of the earth. And yes, we need to pray pray for that and ask God to come and do that. But God allows suffering to continue in the world and the riders to still ride. Why? Because He loves you. And because He's patient with you. What do I mean? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Write it down. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is slow to come. He is patient, slow to anger, not wishing that any would perish, but that everyone would repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience eternal life. Do you see it? The reason why the sixth seal has not been opened It's because God is giving your friends and your family members who don't know Jesus time to come to faith and repent and follow Him. Isn't that amazing? God hasn't brought the day of judgment because He loves you and because He's gathering up all of His people. That's why the angel says, wait a minute, the 144,000. Now who are the 144,000? Well, let's keep it really quick and simple. It's not talking about ethnic Israel. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 9. Scripture interprets Scripture. He turns to see the 144,000, and what does he see? A great multitude that no man can number from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people group. I know this is going to be earth-shattering, but the 144,000 simply means this. There are going to be a lot of people in heaven. And that there is going to be a lot of diversity in heaven. The 144,000 represents all of God's people in the whole history of the world. The 144,000 is you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ tonight. Look at verse 14. Those who have washed their robes, he says, in the blood of the Lamb... If that describes you, if you are one that has been washed or you have put your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and that means that you have been sealed. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, in the ancient Near East, scrolls would be rolled up. They would take a glob of... Wax and put it on the seal and the king would take his ring, his signet ring, and push it down on the seal. And what that meant was this was a trustworthy scroll. It would verify it. It's another way of saying don't mess with this. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, God's ring of authority has sealed you to Himself So when the day of judgment comes, no harm will be done to you. No harm will be done to you because your robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So you're not standing on your resume because you would not stand. You would not stand on your merits, but you're standing on that day on the merits of the blood of the Lamb. And in John chapter 10, it says, No one can be snatched out of his hand. That's security. And with that kind of security, you know what that means? you can look the four horsemen right smack in the eyes. Because what do you have to fear? Death? Rejection from a friend or from a parent? You can look the four horsemen in the eye if you are sealed in the Lord Jesus Christ and washed in His blood As the passage says, your robes have been washed in his blood. And you can face that suffering because what it means is that suffering does not have the final word in your life. Look at how it ends in verse chapter 7. My favorite part of the passage. Notice the sections indented. An elder is singing. This is poetry. He is singing. And notice the song that the elder is singing. What is the song about? The song is about the security of God's people. Look at what it says. Listen to these wonderful words. You shall hunger no more. No more scorching heat. Why? Because the Lamb will be your shepherd. Guide them and will guide you to springs of living water. And God, look at this verse, God Himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. God Himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. And if you're standing on the blood of the Lamb tonight, that is your destiny. No matter how bad the suffering gets in your life, that is your home. That's where you're headed. Brian Chapel, he's a former seminary professor at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And this story he told a while back, he had two boys and they were ages 5 and 3 at this time and his wife Kathy wanted to have a play date with one of her friends. They were going to take their kids to the St. Louis Zoo and at this particular time there was a huge exhibit called Big Cat Country that had just opened. It was a huge exhibit for the lions and the tigers and they had plenty of space to roam and as they're going to the exhibit once they get inside the zoo uh, one of the boys' blankets gets caught in the wheel of the stroller and tangled up. And so she kneels down and she's untangling the, stro- the blanket from the stroller wheel and she takes her eyes off of her boys for just a second and they run ahead of her to the exhibit. She gets up to the exhibit and looks over and notices that the boys are inside the exhibit. They had crawled through a small child-sized opening in the fence And they are on a rock perched 10 to 20 feet away from these lions. And she says at one point, the boys lean over and look at their mom and say, Mom, we can see them. She's like, really? You're with them. But they had no idea of the danger that they were in. But their mom knew. Kathy. Their mom knew how dangerous the situation was and she had no idea how to react because she thought if I yell and scream, the, top, the, the lions might react or my boys might sense the danger and they might freeze up. And then she looked and says, I can't get through the opening to go get them. And so she did the only thing that she knew to do. She got down on her knees. She spread out her arms and she says, Boys, Your mommy loves you. Will you come give mommy a hug? And her boys took off and ran into our arms, into a love that saved them from a danger that was way greater than they could perceive in that moment. This passage reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ also knelt down. And He spread His arms on a cross. And He invites us tonight to come into His arms so that He can save us from a danger that is greater than anything that we can perceive. Jesus, it's only in His loving arms when they are wrapped around us that we are secure and safe. When that day of judgment comes, Because when that day of judgment comes, Jesus will bring justice once and for all against the four horsemen. And the only way we will be left standing is if we are in the arms of Jesus. And so my question tonight is will you wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb? That's an invitation. Let's pray.